at Hannah's prayer, we saw that some of the elements of, of, of prayer is that prayer is transformative, that, that prayer is not just about us asking God to do things for us, but it's about, it's about giving God the opportunity to do things in us through the power of his spirit. And today we wanna look at the connection between prayer and the word of God. A lot of people in this world pray. I mean, you know, every religion has some form of prayer. Even, even atheists find an occasion to pray when they're in difficult circumstances. They thank God or they say, God, you know, they ask God, they cry out for God. But what is it that makes our prayers distinct from all other uh, prayers, from other religions and things like that? Well, Christian prayer is grounded in the truths of the word of God. I mean, you go back to Jesus' time and the disciples, I mean, the disciples were praying people. Their culture, their family, their traditions had included a, a, a rich tradition of prayer. And yet when they when we went to Jesus, when they were following Jesus, they said, Jesus, teach us, teach us how to pray. That they knew that there was something missing about their prayers and they could see that there was something different about how Jesus prayed. There's something very real, something personal, something powerful about Jesus and, and, and noticeably effective when Jesus prayed. And James, we, we saw last week again, James writes that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And we saw that, that prayer is not just this, uh, this thing for very faithful and super righteous people, but prayer is given to every follower of Jesus Christ. All of us who are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. We are righteous men and women. And prayer is this powerful tool for the kingdom of God given really to all of us, to every believer. Whether we're good at prayer, quote, good at prayer or not good at prayer, this is a tool. It's not a matter of you're good or not good at prayer. It's a matter of God says, this is a gift that I want to give to all of my children that they can pray and, and, and the kingdom of God and the power of God will move forward. And so today we want to continue in this vein, looking at how the word of God, how the scriptures uh, significantly enriches and empowers our prayer life. So I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm chapter five, verse one. Psalm chapter five, verse one. And in reverence for the word of God, shall we stand together? And this is the word of God from Psalm chapter five. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice and in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness and evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes and you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For, as there's, for there is no truth in their mouth, and their, and their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. 
But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in, exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as with a shield. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This psalm is actually particularly endearing to me because when I was a young Christian, there was this very well-known song that was actually based on just the first few verses of this psalm. And I remember it very distinctly, the, the, the song. I'm not gonna sing it. But of course, it's only based on the first few verses because you can't really go to church and sing a praise song. You know, oh Lord, destroy those who speak lies and bloodthirsty men into surtful, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was just the first few verses, but you know, I thought it would kind of be interesting if someone actually added those verses in. But anyways, this passage talks about how the knowledge of God through his word gives us the ability to have confident prayers. That the knowledge of God, uh, his holy word, will infuse our prayers with a renewed sense of confidence. I really believe that our lives, we would live life differently if we had confidence that our, our prayers would be answered by God. I, I, I think for my life, my life would be more peaceful. It would be less stressful. It would be more joyful, more hopeful, less cynical, more daring, more gracious, less fearful. If I truly believe, if I had confidence that God really answers and listens to my prayers. The knowledge of God's word infuses our prayers with confidence, which turns our prayers into really true expressions of faith and the power of God. That's what we want when we, when we pray. We want to have the Bible near us, the, the word of God hidden in our hearts. But this Psalm of David, uh, when he's writing or when he's speaking, this is actually a prayer. And we don't know the particular situation that he's in, but we do know that it's something where he's in danger. There's people uh, doing evil around him, trying to hurt him or destroy him. And what's highlighted in this prayer is David's unshakable confidence in the nature of God. That he, it's, it's a morning prayer. He says, you know, in the morning, when you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice and watch. And this, this the morning always for, in the Jewish culture was a sense of hope. You know, a new day, uh, eagerness, expectation, uh, waking up in the morning and, and the first thing we do is, is talk to God and, and ask God and, and look for God in what he's going to do. And that's kind of a sense of, of this psalm. When David is praying, it exudes a sense of, of confidence, of really believing that, that God's going to answer. And this is a great encouragement for all of us as we think about particularly for those of us who are going through struggles, who are going through hardship. Now this psalm has actually two parallel parts. Just to give a little background here, there's kind of an ABC, ABC structure. So basically one through seven, um, that it asserts three things, three things about God. And then verses eight through 12 kind of repeats or reinforces those same three truths about God and then brings it to a conclusion. So as we look at this, the first thing that we wanna see is that David prays with confidence um, because of his knowledge of the kingship of God. Now, the, the, the thing is, is that 
it's not so much that, you know, we think about the word of God and say, oh, if you pray the word of God, God will answer prayer. It's not like, you know, the word of God is like these magical special words that if you pray them, God's going to particularly answer your prayers. But rather, um, in the word of God, the word of God speaks truths about God, about Jesus, that he is king. And it is in these words, and it is in these truths that we find confidence uh, in Jesus. So looking at verse one, it says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for you do I pray, for to you do I pray. And actually it's more, for to you only do I pray. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice in the morning, and I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch, meaning I wait for you. So David begins with a triplet. He says, give ear to my words, consider my groaning, give attention to my cry. And even like consider my groaning means to, to really be thoughtful about, a groaning is like, what goes on in our hearts. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not, not a verbal thing. It's actually what is going on in our hearts. And he's saying, God, even the things that I can't verbalize, uh, uh, let, let, please listen to what's going on in my heart. And you'll notice in verse three, it says, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I will prepare a sacrifice for you, and I will watch. Now it's that last two words that really kind of strikes us in this particular psalm, and it really memorable for me because in a, a simple translation of this would be, O Lord, give ear to my prayers as I pray in the morning, as I pray morning by morning with full expectation. This idea of watch means it's like being on the walls, watching to see what's going to happen. Uh, this is a sense of watching expectantly, that David is watching because he believes that after I pray, that God is really going to answer, that God is really going to do something. There, I'm watching and waiting for what God's gonna do. It's not I pray and then I forget about it and go do my thing. It's I'm praying and I'm waiting. God, what are you gonna do? See, that's the question I often ask myself. You know, when I pray, how often do I wait expectantly for God's answer? Because that's what Psalm 5 is talking about. Uh, one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, he told this story that, uh, about his grandson. And he said uh, he and his grandson had been praying for this uncle who uh, was not a Christian and was very uh, adamant against Jesus Christ, against Christianity. And so they would pray, they would pray together. They're always, you know, for many years praying for this uncle. And, and Howard Hendricks says one day he was at the airport visiting his grandson or visiting his daughter. And his grandson comes running up to him and says, Granddad, Granddad, guess what? Uncle Jess, Uncle so-and-so just accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And Howard Hendricks said the first words that came out of his mouth was, you must be joking. I don't believe it. And, and Hendricks said, even when he said that, he said, too often we remain skeptical even about our own prayers. You know, that, that, that we ask for impossible things because we know that we can, but sometimes we don't expect, we don't expect that God will answer. 
And, and so I think of that story you know, that my professor taught, told me. Whenever I remember this psalm, whenever I think of this psalm, I, I think of that story and say, you know, when I pray, when I lift up my prayers to God, especially in times of sorrow and struggle or in times of facing impossibility, um, in the morning, uh, do I really uh, wait with full expectation? Do I wake up in the morning and, and remember those prayers that I brought to God and say, God, I'm still, I'm still waiting for you to, I, maybe today's the day that you're gonna answer this prayer for this person, change that life, help them receive Jesus Christ as savior, change this situation, fix the, 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 the difficulties that, that are facing or that have been coming my way all these times. Is this the morning that you're gonna answer these prayers or what are you gonna do uh, to, as, as you answer these prayers and that's that's what we think of as we think of this psalm uh, expectation and that's what David really had as he even just in the first few verses of the psalm now where does this confidence actually come from in verse 2 David says he calls God he says my king and my God for to you do I pray meaning for only to you only you alone Am I praying and asking for these things? And so this tells us that we can have a prayerful confidence, not just because of our knowledge of God's promises, but because of our knowledge of God himself. I know we have a lot of promises, and, and, and you know, that we say, well, you know, the Bible says if I have the faith of a mustard seed, I can ask of God and he will move mountains. And I think of that prayer, and then I think, oh, my faith must be even smaller than a mustard seed because... I don't feel like my prayers are being answered and then I, I feel like I, I need to have this faith. If, if only I had this faith of even just a mustard seed, God says my, my prayers would be answered and sometimes my mind is focused when I think of these verses, my mind's focused on me, right? Like how come I can't have this prayer of, of a mustard seed? How come I can't have this faith to believe that God answers prayer? But actually as we look at this psalm, this focuses on God, a sense that it's not our prayers, it's not even our faith, but it's a matter that is who we are asking, that Jesus is the king. He is our God and our king. He's the only one that we're asking to do this. And so scriptures are not just focus, asking us to focus on like particular verses about prayer. Uh, they, they, they work together. All of scripture works together to bring our eyes and hearts to Jesus, to our king, who's the one who answers prayer. And, and that's, where, that's where David's confidence really does come from his confidence in God. Now the second question is, you know, what is it about the kingship of God that inspires confident prayer? And to, in order to answer this, we need to understand kind of the theological significance of kingship uh, in the Bible, because you know, we don't live um, under kings. And you know, the only things we get is we watch documentaries about you know, kings of England and queens of England and things like that. Um, so, so we don't understand like what an earthly king is supposed to do. And even like the kings in England, things like that, they didn't really do what the Israelites believed that kings were for. Uh, in fact, they, uh, God even specified in uh, his word what a real king is supposed to be. A, a, an earthly king is charged with the responsibility of, of this kingdom. 
like everybody who lives in his kingdom, everyone who lives in this land, he is responsible, the king is responsible for their protection. He's responsible to make sure that they receive justice. He is responsible to make sure that there's peace. He's responsible to make sure that they are provided for, that they're cared for. Everyone who lives under his reign, he is responsible to make sure that his kingdom is, is a kingdom of peace. Now, in Israel's history, we know some of the kings, you know, they did that okay, and some of the kings, a lot of the kings didn't do that very well. Even the best kings of Israel, the greatest kings of Israel, were limited in their ability to provide for their subjects. But here, in this verse, uh, David calls out, my king and my God. Um, and he equates God as a king, and in our case, he's proclaiming that Jesus is the ultimate and perfect king above all kings. And you know, even the greatest kings of Israel, David, Solomon, Josiah, they only pointed to the greatest king, the perfect king, Jesus. And so, so David is crying out saying, I'm confident in my prayers because you are the king. You are the king of creation, and you are the one who has personally made yourself responsible for the protection of your subjects, for the provision of your subjects, for the justice and the, and the goodness of your subjects. And so, so he has this confidence, and, and there's two outstanding characteristics in verse four through eight that we can see about Jesus' kingship that's important, and that is his justice and his mercy. In verse four, it says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness, and evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, and you hate evildoers. And so here, um, David is saying this is the nature of Yahweh the king, that he is holy, and he is in incompatible with evil. He even says, he says, uh, evil may not dwell with you, but actually this word dwell is like dwell in a tent. And it gives the idea of may not even visit you. It's kind of like, you know, it's like uh, nomads who travel in tents and set up a tent and then take the tent up and leave. And so he's saying that, that God, you are so holy that evil can't even, you know, visit your presence because uh, your eyes are so holy. You yourself are so holy and so just. And this is not saying that God is hateful, but this is saying that, 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 that David affirms there is no, so, no way that evil will continue to reign or to have power or, 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 or to, to destroy us because our God is a just God. The second aspect of, of Jesus' kingship is the idea of God's goodness and his steadfast love, he says, but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter into your house. And this is different from the idea of dwelling in a tent. This is enter into your house, like permanently stay. And what's interesting here is that David does not say, um, okay, the, the, the evil are gonna get judgment and they're not gonna dwell with you, but myself, the righteous, I'm gonna be with you in your house forever. He doesn't say, I'm righteous. He doesn't say, you know, but I don't have a lying tongue, but I don't have a throat, you know, things like that. But he's saying, uh, he emphasizes God's steadfast love. He says, it's because of the abundance of your steadfast love. That's the reason that, that, that I know you will rescue me, and I know you will bring justice. 
Uh, we, in, in our Life Bible class, we talked about this idea of steadfast love. This is, this is his loyal love, his, his chesed. This is the idea that God said he promised, and he will fulfill that promise no matter what we do, no matter how we may turn away from him or how we may fail him. God says, I made a promise, and I will always fulfill that promise to be good, to be faithful, to be with you. And, and so Jesus, he's talking about uh, Jesus' kingship is demonstrated by, the, by this kind of relentless goodness. Um, relentless goodness. Now, relentless goodness, from w what I mean from this is like in the beginning, from the very beginning, God's greatest desire, um, and even up till now, is to bless his creation to pour out blessing over his creation. I feel like, um, I was trying to think of an, an al analogy of this and I was saying God's like this um, killer robot of blessing. I know it sounds kind of weird, but that's the, that's the thought that came to my mind. This science fiction, you always have these killer robots that run around, not run around, they actually walk around because they don't have to run because you can't stop them. They just keep coming, coming, you can kick it, you can shoot it, you can smash it, you can blow it up, you can burn it, but they still keep coming after you. Why? Because they're killer robots. Well, God's like a killer robot, but in a good way. He's like a killer robot of blessing. That means he just wants to bless his children. It doesn't matter what we do, no matter how much we mess up our lives, no matter how much uh, we, we, we fail him or betray him or reject him or abandon him, he still keeps coming. He still keeps moving us to that place where we can experience his blessing. Why? Because he is determined to bless his children. Nothing will stop him. This is the idea of steadfast love. Nothing's gonna stop me from, from bringing Israel the blessing that I promised way back in the time of Abraham. What was the history of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years? Was like total rebellion. I mean, idolatry even in God's temple, God's holy temple, there was idled idolatry, there was prostitution in the temple or near the temple. And this is like, this is how bad it got. And it's not just for once in a while, it's like for, for generations it was like this. And every time God brought a revival, it just went right back to this evil and, and destruction and injustice. And, and even when Jesus came, there's this sense that, you know, rejecting him and, and putting him on the cross. And yet God says, it doesn't matter what you guys do, uh, the Israelites, because I made a promise. I made a promise to Abraham even before Israel came to be that you will be a blessing, that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. And when I make a promise, I will always keep that promise and I will always keep bringing you back to that place of blessing. Whether you kick and scream, whether you fight, whether you rebel, whether you turn against me for generations, I'm a faithful God. And I'm determined to bless and nothing will stop him. And you may be here today and you may feel like, um, you know, I don't deserve God's blessing at all. And I mean, that's a good thing. None of us deserve God's blessing. And we may say, well, I, you know, you don't know what I've done. There's, there's no way that, 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 that I could ever enjoy God's blessing in my life because of how, how much, how deep I am 
in whatever it is. But we read this and it says nothing will stop him. That's, that's steadfast love. God says nothing will stop me. That he is determined. He, 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 will, he, will, never, um, he will never give up. Even if you say, well, but everyone else has given up on me. Nobody else is going to give me another chance. God will never give up. It may not be easy, the path that he brings you on. It may not be quick. But, but, but God is relentless in his desire for you. And you may not even be a Christian. You may say, well, I'm not a Christian, and I, I, you know, I haven't been honored. I haven't lived a life that really deserves the, the blessing of God. But God, he is calling you to himself because he does. He wants to bless you. He wants you to know his blessing. And he will bring you to that place if you're willing to go to that place where you will see his blessing, you will see his power. This is a part of our confidence in prayer as we pray that God is a just God, God is a, a merciful God, that these are part of the kingship of Jesus, that as we speak to Jesus, as we cry in our prayers, we're calling to our God and our King who is perfect in justice perfect in mercy. So we see that, that the word of God, confident prayer, is about the kingship of Jesus. And we see that the kingship of Jesus includes his justice and his mercy. And the final thing we want to look at is what does that look like? What does that look like in our prayers? Um, in verse 8, David says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And so here is a, his, his um, request, and he says, lead me in your righteousness. And so the, the first idea when we talk about prayer, when we, whenever we want to, to have a confidence in our prayers, um, we must be careful to be sober about our sin. Um, David's prayer is for guidance in a particular area, that is, uh, lead me in your righteousness. Um, because when we pray, and we, if God's justice is part of our confidence in prayer, I mean, that's why I know God will answer my prayers, because I know God is just, then God's justice actually cuts both ways, right? Uh, if we're gonna cry out for God's justice, then we gotta make sure that we take sin very seriously. See, because it, it, Jesus even said, you know, if we're gonna bring, up, you know, bring out the, the sins of others and talk about the sins of others and talk about the justice that we deserve, um, that's like represented by a little splinter in their eye. And, and Jesus says, even before you, you try to, to think about that, before you, you judge them, uh, before you, you even pray in confidence for them or whatever you're gonna pray, uh, you take out the log in your own eye, you know, really think about uh, what's going on in our lives first. Because justice is so much a part of prayer. If we really want God to answer our prayers, we are asking God, a just God, to act how he is and, and what he is like, and part of that is justice. And therefore, when we come to pray, we must be uh, repentant and humble and reflective of our sin. 
I mean, look at David's situation. He was saying, like, um, I'm surrounded by those who do evil. Like, surrounded. Like, there's nobody else who's doing good. Um, there's no truth in their mouths. They never tell the truth or things like that. And, and this situation, in these situations where he's surrounded by so much evil, even more so, he needs to ask God, please, lead me in your righteousness. Let, let me not be uh, uh, complaining or, or judgmental or condemning or retaliatory or vengeful or bitter or critical because those things come in so easily when we're surrounded by those around us who are really not doing the right thing but yet it can still affect us uh, it, it, so we must be especially in these times diligent to say God please as I pray concerning these things even concerning the evil that is around me lead me in your righteousness purify my hearts Help me to have the righteousness that even the kindest, most patient person in the world, um, we want more than that because we want to be confident in our prayers. We want God to give us the supernatural ability of his righteousness. So Jesus to be surrounded when he's surrounded by people who were s spitting on him and, and killing him and making fun of him and yelling at him that he would be able to say, forgive them. And, and, and so that's the first application is to really sit down and say, if, if I want to be confident in prayer, if I want my prayers to be focused on the person of God, the kingship of Jesus, God, my first prayer is lead me in your righteousness. Let me be sober about the things in my life. Bring to me to mind the things in my life that, that I need to confess to you. Second application of, con of, of confident prayer is the idea of filling our prayers with uh, the deep appreciation of God's mercy. Verse 11, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy, spread your protection over them, and those who love your name may exult in you. This idea of taking refuge, this idea of taking re refuge is this idea of, of fleeing to this fortress um, in times of, of attack. And living under the protection of your wings is kind of this idea of a mother bird covering over her children or her chicks um, protecting them from whatever danger comes. And so there's a sense of, of God's grace. It's, it's not just you know, running when you have trouble to, to, to stay under there and then leave again. It's, it's like really kind of living under this protection of God's mercy that I, I acknowledge that this is where I want to live under the mercy of God. And finally, confident prayer drives us to God's word what it reminds us of the character of God in Jesus. Verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as a shield. See, our prayers are not grounded in what we think God is like. You know, our feelings and our emotions are not uh, the things that form our understanding of God. Uh, it must be the word of God. It's kind of like, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time and they say, oh, I've heard a lot about you. You don't know how to react to that, right? Because it, it kind of depends on what they say. They, oh, I've heard a lot about you. Or, oh, I heard a lot about you. you know? So you kind of shake their hands going, or if they say, oh, I heard a lot about you. you know? Then you're like, hmm, I don't know if, shake their hand and say yes or say, hmm, you know. And, and so you're, you're kind of like, 
you know, what kind of information did they receive? Who did they receive it from? You know, what, you know, is it true? Is it not true? Is it whatever? And, you know, in the same way, you know, we don't want to know God by, you know, oh, I heard a lot about you. Um, just like we want people to know us for who we are. I mean, that's what I want. If somebody meet me, I want them to say, oh, you know, I don't want to say evaluate me, but, but give me a chance based on our meeting together, not on what other people have said, you know, unless it's good, but I mean, you know, not on what people have said. I don't want, even good stuff, it's like, I don't want to disappoint you, what they say about me. Um, and we don't want people to relate to us based on what other people said about us. We want them to relate to us based on meeting us, knowing us, hearing our words, watching our actions, relating to us and, and, and really knowing who we are. In the same way, when we talk about God, when we pray to God and we want our prayers to be confident, God, he doesn't want us to just talk about, you know, pray to him based on what somebody told us about God or what we think about God. He wants us to pray to him. We have confidence in our prayers um, when we know God when we know his word, when we read his word, when we think about the things that God actually says about himself, that's when we really, our prayers are confident and full of power. If you look at this psalm, it's interesting, this psalm, because I looked at it and you get a lot of statements about God. You get an equal amount of statements about God as you do in terms of requests from David, which is kind of unusual. Um, so you look at this and he'll say things like, you know, you do not delight in wickedness, the abundance of your steadfast love. Uh, evil may not dwell in you. The boastful shall not stand before you. Uh, uh, you hate evildoers. Uh, he talks about the abundance of your stead. You'll destroy those who speak lies. The abundant, you abhor bloodthirsty men. Uh, those who take refuge in you, you spread your protection over him. You bless the righteous. You cover him with favor. This is um, his prayer. And it's interesting that, that all these statements are statements about God. And, and a lot of them, David didn't make up himself. They're statements that he actually, that are actually from scripture, and David is affirming them uh, in his prayer. And, and it's interesting because we look at this, or I look at this and I say, well, you know, a lot of our prayers, I just focus on what I want to say to God, uh, what I want from God, uh, the things I want God to do for me. And to hear David, he spends an equal amount, an equal amount of, of, of his time in prayer um, making statements about God. That's a part of his prayer. And, and his prayer is not based on, just the, 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 not, based on uh, not only based on his knowledge of God, it's actually uh, filled with the knowledge of God. Statements of God about his word. And, and, and this is what, what brings about really a sense of confident prayer that, that I am not just asking God, but I am filling my prayers with the real truth of God, with actual statements about who he is and what he is like. And, and this is part of my prayer so that, that when I pray, I can have this confidence that God is going to answer, that it really will change um, our lives. Um, Long time, I, I told the story a long time ago because Matthew was really young. Matthew, one of my, my son, 
he uh, was really little, and uh, Lauren was born at that time too. And we wanted to go to Felton, to ride, you know, Felton by Santa Cruz to ride the train. And um, so, you know, I think at that time there was maps, <laughs> not not uh, not uh, GPS, but we had maps or whatever. And so I kind of calculated how long it would take and figured out how to get there. And unfortunately, I didn't calculate it too well, and we were late. And we were like, you know, the train, there's only like two trains, and you, if you miss this one, you have to wait like six hours or five hours for the next one. And so you got to arrive at this Felton station by this certain time. And we were, we were getting late. I was going, oh my goodness, we're not going to make it. And I was getting all stressed out, and Rita was getting all stressed out, and Rita was saying, oh, you know, we should have done this. And I'm like, oh man, I should have left earlier. And, and I, you know, we were really like almost getting into an argument over this, like, oh no, you know, and the, you know, the kid's gonna be so disappointed because we're gonna miss this train, and it's just because, you know, we didn't spend an extra 10 minutes to leave a little earlier. We didn't expect that this was gonna happen. And so we were literally kind of bantering back and forth, back and forth. And then we got there, and, and the train was late. And so we got on the train, and we were like, oh, wow, the train was, was, was there. And then, and then we said, oh, we said, hey, Matthew, Lauren, aren't you, aren't you glad that the train was late? And Matthew goes, I know the train was going to be late. And we said, what do you mean you knew the train was going to be late? He says, because when you guys were arguing, I was praying. And you're like, he's only like three years old. Like, he's only like three or four. And he says, but I mean, you know, I laugh, but it was really convicting. <laughs> because I sit there, you know, in the front seat, Mommy and Daddy are arguing and stressed out and yelling and like mad and bitter and saying, oh, we should have done this, blah, 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 blah. In the back seat, it was like, I'm praying. <laughs> I know God's gonna answer my prayers. So I'm not worried. When we get there, the train's gonna be late. And I feel like that's kind of like confident prayer. Which seat you wanna sit in, the front seat or the back seat? I mean, we are so often in the front seat. I want the front seat, I want the driving wheel, right? I want to be the one who says, okay, this is how we're going to take care of everything. I'm going to make sure everything's under control. And yeah, I'll pray, but I mean, we prayed before we left. We got in the car and we did pray, but, you know, it's getting late and oh, there's all that, you know, and we're stressed out and yelling and trying to figure out, maybe I should drive faster or I wish that person in front of me would hurry up, you know, and things like that. And we're so stressed out when we're sitting in the front seat trying to control. But really what we want to do is sit in the back seat. We're in prayer where we're saying, God, I'm confident that you're going to answer my prayers. Even though we messed up and even though these things happened, even though something unexpected kind of came in the way that we weren't expecting to happen, I'm confident that God's going to answer my prayer. And you sit in the back and, and think of a difference that that makes in our lives, in the way that we live our lives. Do we want to have our lives always on the driving wheel? always in control or do we want to have our lives in the back you know resting hopeful joyful in prayer that's what the confidence of prayer means to be confident in prayer that's what psalm 5 is all about that's why it's not just about prayer it's really everything everything about our lives and the way that we live it. So let's go ahead and let's, let's bow, let's just spend some time in prayer and let's really ask of God, God, help me to have a life of confident prayer. What is it that is keeping me from having this confident prayer, this peace?